Welcome to EU Code Week podcasts. We bring coding, computational thinking, robotics, and innovation closer to you, your community, and your school. everyone and welcome back. I'm your host Eugenia Casariego and today I'm hosting this episode together with Mahal Kehir. Hi Eugenia. The EU Code Week podcast series is a part of the Code Week efforts to support the adaptation of education in Europe and help teachers and students be at the forefront of today's digitalized world. In today's topic, uh, we will be talking about video games. So we will see how can games be used today as a teaching tool, what's it like to work in the gaming industry, what does it take to get there, as well as different views on the practical aspect regarding the future of education. Our guest today is someone at the heart of the video gaming industry, Hendrik Lesser. He is the president of the European Games Developer Federation, as well as the founder of Chimera Entertainment. And fun fact, he also collaborated on some of the Angry Birds. Welcome to our podcast, Hendrik. It's very nice and always a pleasure to have someone with us as a guest that relies on programming and its practical applications in the real world. I'm sure many of our listeners know, of course, of the Angry Birds games and would be very excited to hear uh, more about the gaming industry and how you got into it. So very welcome. And can you introduce yourself uh, to our listeners? Thank you uh, for introducing me and uh, thanks that I can be here with you. So I'm Hendrik and I'm involved into games since I was four years old. That's 40 years. I not only are still an avid gamer, but also a developer making lots of different games. You mentioned uh, Angry Birds. We worked on two of them, but also on many, many other games. And ultimately, my job personally is the one of a producer. So I help everybody to come together and work properly together. And besides uh, our business, you mentioned the, the EGDF. I'm also quite active in politics, you know, still a young field games. And it's important that we create more awareness also on the political side for what games are, in my opinion, the culture technique of the century and how it can be used not only for entertainment, but uh, in all kinds of different ways of field of our society. Um, we're now going to address a little bit more the journey into coding. So, Hendrik, it's clear that you know a fair bit about coding and programming yourself. As you mentioned, you started your, let's say, career very early, four years old. So how did your code learning journey start and what motivated you and what motivates you still now? So my coding journey actually was a rather a shorter one um, than actually the development itself. I come from a household where my dad was a third generation patent attorney. So we always had to deal with technology and what innovation is. And he was a, a very, very early fan of uh, home PC. So um, beginning of the 80s, we already had PCs at home. And my dad wanted me to become a coder. But I have to admit, I already quit coding at, in my teenage years. Uh, I liked it and I thought, you know, I'm not that bad of it. But in the end, I realized that I either dedicate really my whole life to it and really get into it, or I just stopped doing it. And uh, I was in the end more interested on how you can apply the technology, especially in games, to create culture. So my path then became more of a producer, uh, what I said before, actually helping others to make those projects. And um, this all comes together. I was going to say that it's just nice or interesting that you mentioned that it came a bit from home, because I think that's inspiring as well to our listeners, the fact that they have a power to inspire the students, the young people of tomorrow and their future careers. I think it's a very good, good point there. And so I'm sure many people are curious to know what's it like to work in the gaming industry. How do we go from conception to actually having a game develop? Um, 
and, and what are the skills, for example, that you think off the top of your head you would require? So to start with the games industry itself, the industry definitely evolved quite a lot. So when I started, it was much, much smaller. I still kind of played all relevant games in the Western world, which came out. That's by far not possible anymore. So the games industry nowadays is extremely diverse in the broadness of the content, where the content is coming from, from all kinds of territories. We're discussing right now, for example, you know, the, the one of the untouched or not untouched, but less developed areas is, for example, Africa. You know, there's not so many African developers yet, but this is just about to happen. Right. So it's like really exciting to be part of the gaming industry. I've seen some of the early Chinese games uh, 15, 20 years ago and so on and so on. Overall, the games industry is much more mature, so it is really a career. When I started, it was still being something where people were like, oh, can you make money with this? This sounds weird. You only play games all day, right? All these kind of prejudices about what it actually means to make them. And of course, I can't only play games every day. You know, it's like we make them, we don't play them all the time. Uh, definitely not during work hours. Um, <laughs> so it is a much more mature place where you can have different paths of careers, where nowadays I think if you tell your parents and for your friends it's considered to be cool it's a hip thing to do right this is also the investment side of things uh, definitely acknowledge games as a field of growth uh, there have been crazy stories during the pandemic of companies going public i have a couple of friends who became billionaires at least on paper during the pandemic because games are now really recognized as one of the driving factors of the digital revolution also to how to get into the games industry when i started there was nothing really in education you could uh, study, you know, engineering, informatics and something like this, or, you know, art uh, and then start making games on your own. But there was no formal education. Now that is super different. There's lots of private schools and universities, but also basically in more or less all the development countries, there is uh, also public schools and uh, universities, academies. There's all kinds of things going on. And is it fun to work in the games industry? I think, you know, uh, like every job, not every day, not every second. Sometimes you have to meet a deadline sometimes you do something which is not successful you're disappointed but to me it's the greatest thing on the planet right you know i dedicated my life to this um and you know i'm not only active as i mentioned as a developer and in politics um, i'm still quite active in a big culture club i do educate at different schools and at universities so this is a 360 topic for me and i guess will be until i die and so i can only recommend it for young people who are thinking about this to dive into it and not, not let them get distracted by by other means of you know this is might be childish or something like this you can make games for adults you can make games for all kinds of different purposes for serious matters and so on and so on and so when you nowadays want to step into the games industry ideally you start playing them right you know at one point in time you should fall in love with the subject matter itself and then uh, a lot of people already as teenagers start to tinker around with some of the tools, which are much more accessible than back in the days. Um, and then you can go uh, based on your school curriculum, you are either to academies or schools or, you know, vocational training or even study at universities. So there's all kinds of ways in. And, you know, one where we basically all come from as the veterans is just doing it, right? You know, or ask for an internship at a company and then, you know, basically get your bosses and your peers convinced. Uh, that you have the drive, the passion, and of course, some skills to actually be of benefit for the team.
And then uh, there, the sky's the limit. There's all kinds of stories of people starting really at the bottom of the ladder and then becoming, you know, the chiefs of big companies and leading games as game directors and uh, really also able to express themselves artistically in that medium, which is, I think, a super cool. And inspiring as well. <laughs> you mentioned that it, you, you can also make games for adults. And I think it's something that needs to be really developed because now I'm being an adult and I, when I see my nephews playing games, I don't understand anything. I feel like I lost all my skills. And I feel like, you know, the language for kids is really not the same that for adults, you know, because I grew up with like PlayStation 1, like PSP, you know, so I don't have the same understanding as them with their Switch when they're playing the game. I don't even understand the goal of their games. And I feel like it's not the, the same drive that I had when I was playing, I don't know. You know, Dragon Ball Z or something. On my yeah. so, That's not a French thing to say, yeah, Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> but, but, you know, like I cannot share my same like game drive that I had with them because I feel it's like completely different. Plus now they also have the fact that they can speak with other people, you know, in, in live. Yes. And I, did, I didn't have that. Like I was just with my sister in the living room, you know. So it's a completely different way of, you know, adapting it, I think, to the depending on the audience. So, so yeah, when you mentioned yeah. game for adults, even for them to understand the game of their kids, because like I don't yes. understand anything in Fortnite. It's a total legit point you're bringing up, right? You know, this is, I think, what's really important is also the evolution of the genres. It's not just games in general. That's, you know, pretty simplistic um, to look at it. You see the evolution of genres. So, for example, for you who grew up with PlayStation 1, I grew up with early PC, right? You know, this is way, way older than this, but I'm still an avid player. So, I still play roughly 100 games per year. There's all kinds of games, either basically the same stuff you experienced when you were a kid. When the Wii came out, uh, we coined the term Silver Gamer. Basically, your grandparents picking up games the first yeah. time in their life. And we always had this image in our head of the Wii where you could bowl, right? Where you basically use the controller and move it. Some of the grandmas maybe not, not necessarily can to pick up a, a bowling ball in anymore. Life, it's very yeah. heavy, right? It could actually be dangerous. And then playing those games just with the Wii controller um, gave them a lot of joy and actually even, you know, revitalize uh, spirit for life, right? They can still do stuff like this, even with mm. their grandkids. I think uh, what I said before is really key here in the whole discussion. Gaming is a culture technique. You can do everything with it. You could do, mm -hmm. you know, from the, the, the one side uh, mentioning the adult stuff, you could do the, the trainings, you can do the stuff for the kids, you can do, you know, a flight simulator, which exists for a long time. And you can also use and, you know, you can use games for propaganda, which they are used for, right? There's countries using games for propaganda purposes. It's just a medium. It's just a tool for what you use it it depends on, on on us basically society and individuals what we make of it we mm -hmm. should also push certain cultural boundaries because the same has been true for books and movies and comics and whatnot you know sometimes pushing narratives for example i'm a big comic fan right and comics pushed a lot of social issues and so on in the 60s and 70s and stan lee for example one of the the greatest ever right he pushed a lot of those narratives using for example the the, the first non-white superhero or, you know, female or um, maybe with a sexual, uh, different sexual identity and so on, uh, which is great. And I think games have the kind of duty to push that too. So we can see that you're also an advocate for games to be introduced in schools and in universities. So how do you think that teachers can use these games in their classrooms? And do you think that video games can actually be an efficient tool to teach? So I think they should be used in various ways, right? Uh, on the one hand side, you know, the literacy of media. So you mentioned Fortnite, for example. In my opinion, you know, um, a teacher teaching teenagers should actually talk about Fortnite, what it is, what 
what's uh, fascinating about it, but also about, you know, certain peer pressure and you know, to keep up by costumes, what it means, you know, to reflect upon that. It has to have a certain place at school because it exists in our society and it's real for our youth, right? So it needs to be discussed, the good side and the dark sides, the same as with books and movies. And for example, there's this great game, Minecraft. I think you, we all know it. We all get that this is a great game, you know, pushing for innovation. For many, many years, there's a Minecraft education version where teachers give challenges to their pupils and so on to then use them for, you know, either teamwork training or, you know, what they can do with a certain set of materials and so on. There's been a famous game, it's quite some time ago, about the Israel-Palestine conflict, right? Where they can use the game to actually visualize and also make it a little bit more immersion so that it's less abstract for people to engage and understand the difficulty of such a conflict in the first place and then try to apply different solutions and to understand that, you know, it's not a black and white thing. It's very human. It's very complex what's happening there. And then there's also all forms of, especially nowadays with COVID and, you know, remote learning and all this, where I think games have to play a role and already do play a role of getting the relationship between the students and the teacher. This is a more sense of togetherness. It's more fun, right? I guess a lot of people are familiar, which is what is called the flow. And the flow theory goes back to a Russian-American scientist who basically said, whatever you do, if it's too easy, it's boring. If it's too difficult, it's frustrating. Just uh, in between, you are in the flow. We learn best when we are on basically riding the flow. So when the content in school is just, you know, fascinating enough, but not too complex, as I said before, as games are the major culture technique of the century, they have to be used in all these different ways to communicate certain content and so on in a more interesting, more meaningful and more appropriate way, right? Talking about, you know, sort of games and the ethics behind it that maybe the teacher could teach, you know, to the students. What do you think about, for instance, like the game uh, Roblox? Like there was a sort of like polemic not so long ago because there was a lot of adult content in a gameplay and a lot of parents don't know how to supervise it because they don't understand the game and they don't know how to use it because they don't understand the purpose of the game. So they can't see that there is a danger behind. So how do you think we could have like this sort of interaction between the teachers having this expertise, maybe sharing it with the parents that can maybe help them then help the kids? And how can we make sure, you know, that these games are safe at the end of the day? So it's something that me as an adult, what can I do, you know? First of all, I would really advise all the parents to be interested in what their kids are doing. Educate themselves. Check it out yourself. Ideally, play the games with your kids. We all also watched movies or read books, which were not necessarily age appropriate. But since we experienced this with either older peer group or, you know, our uncle or whatnot, you know, we were basically introduced to these topics in a, a little bit more supervised, protected role and way. So I think what you just said is very true. There's not going to be ever a 100% safe space and define safe, right? You know, for some people, safe is a very different uh, meaning than for others, right? And coming back to Roblox, you know, it's just kind of this open platform, which is very exciting because it also means that people with a low threshold can actually create content for the platform, which is amazing. You know, this is for kids to be able to express themselves with easy tools in a game like this. And then theoretically, hundreds of thousands, millions will play it 
wow, that's the best feedback loop on the planet. If I would be 12 years old when I, you know, started making a game, it was complicated. We didn't even get the mouse cursor to be properly on the screen. Now the tools are so easy that you can actually do that. And that I think is amazing and a great opportunity for artists, you know, people already as kids who basically try to push their business acumen to just have impact in the world differently and to get this fabulous feedback loop. You are not touching on a very important topic, which is the benefits now for, for kids. But what do you think, Henrik, are the benefits for young people to be acquainted with games and to introduce games in the classrooms? I think one of the benefits is also that they play games already in the first place, right? So it, it makes the school more relevant again. But I would even go that far. It's an absolute necessity. Otherwise, we're going to lose them. We have to meet them on their battlefield. And, and their battlefield is games. Yeah, jumping on what you just said. So let's move a little bit outside of the, this classroom and talk about how children do at home. So do you think that video games can inspire them to actually get into coding and create something with their computers or the tabs or the new, any new tools that they might have? And if so, how do you think that this incentive can also be used for them to perform better academically. You know, I wouldn't be here talking to you if I wouldn't have played games. I learned most of what I know, strategic thinking, already as a small kid, right? I played so much until I won Waterloo with Napoleon, right? I didn't give up before that happened. And so it not only teached me tactical strategic thinking, it also teached me not to give up this kind of resilience. There was a book from um, American economists about this, that how the gamer generation is changing business. Because if we lose, what do we do? We press continue and do it again. It doesn't make your brain function better, but it learns your certain patterns and pattern recognition, which is quite helpful. So in my opinion, being exposed to games actually makes us a better part of society and especially of the future of mankind, right? And last but not least, it also lets us dream more and you know have more visions of what, what can be possible because I not only conquered the world a couple of times, I also basically colonized the, you know, the universe many times. Um, so to me, these kinds of ideas are not so crazy. You know, Elon Musk, I don't know if you know this, but he wrote in one of his biographies Um, that he wanted to become a game developer first. If you look at some of the, the biggest name in tech and venture capitalism, they all basically start at one point in time that they played games. So I think playing games is, is basically uh, one of the most visionary things you can do to push your own perspective about the future. And um, for the, the classic STEM jobs, right? Don't mind me saying it like this, but this is the entry drug, right? You know, this is you play games and then you become interested in tech and technology and then you may be studying this. So I think games also play a pivotal role in education to get people excited about technology. You know, back in the days when I started, it was unfortunately a, a white boys club right and that's super sad so it's like also from this kind of diversity factor that you know that's young girls and you know all kinds of people with the accessibility of today right i think games play a great role of connect us as human beings right because in a game it's about your merit in the game and sure we talk to each other but we don't even see each other so if you are you know whatever kind of color creed disabled or not doesn't really matter right it, it matters how you behave in the game that's a great and positive way of interacting with each other without these prejudices. 
And it helps kids as well enhance creativity, right? But picking back on these, do you think that there are skills that we develop, for example, when we are designing games or playing games that then can be applied to other fields or other industries? And, and can you give us some examples? So, for example, um, one of the most obvious one is that a lot of people in all kinds of industries nowadays talk about user experience. To a certain degree, a lot of people in gaming are doing this for decades now. For example, here our headquarters in Munich, one of the companies who basically snatched away the most people is BMW to help the engineers to create better user experiences in the cars. I fairly respect German engineering, but some of it is engineering user experience, right? It's functional if you read the handbook. It's not necessarily fun. Um, it's not a great ride. And again, talking about Elon Musk, why do you think Elon Musk has, you know, in all the Teslas, a huge screen and some games to play? Because he fully understands that this is also kind of the first exposure. But there's all kinds of other fields. So it's like, for example, if you take the job of people who do operations in the hospital, right? There's lots of research uh, which basically compares the level of concentration of gamers to either people who operate in, in a hospital. So it, it, it really is helping and preparing for, in my opinion, theoretically all jobs in the world. If you think about carpentry, if you play a game in 3D, you get a better understanding of 3D visual space. From your perspective, what changes do you think need to be done at school level, for example, to ensure that skills learned in the school apply in real life, in the real job market? On the one hand side, I think to start not with the tech side, I think something like entrepreneurship and, and what entrepreneurship really is. Because to me, it doesn't mean, you know, old capitalist style. I employ a lot of people and they work for me and then I'm rich, right? You know, that's that's not what entrepreneurship is. Entrepreneurship is, in my opinion, basically take full responsibility for your life. So I think uh, for the future, that's an essential skill. We don't want worker drones. We want, you know, critical thinking people who can basically provide their input to the world and provide also their brain power in a creative way. And I think they should be as free as possible. So entrepreneurship is one. The second is social skills as in teamwork and so on. You know, we should teach our young generations much more about how to collaborate with each other. We should push for individual strengths and individual wishes and dreams, right? But in the end, as a team and in a social responsible manner. And last but not least, everybody should at least have a basic understanding about how you program something. You know, there's a certain push now for what's called low code. I'm pretty sure you're aware of it, right? You know, this is or even no code uh, where you can use all kinds of things to create new stuff with really, really, really basic or actually no knowledge of any coding languages. You know, no coding languages to a certain degree sounds a little bit too much to me because some form of system needs to be right you know this is I, I don't see how that should work even then it's like super basic but this understanding about certain logic that's necessary for everybody to understand better what is plausible and what's not and to a certain degree even what's true and what's not which is not only helping you again um, in your future job, but also help you to, for example, understand what fake news are and what isn't. And that ideally also preserves democracy, right? Yeah, but it's about much more than just having a job in the future. It's about how to function in tomorrow's society. How do you think teachers who are not familiar with computer science or with games can actually contribute to this debate? teachers like our listeners who may still not be familiar with gaming for example how would you recommend that they get started you can always start to play your first game 
right? You have to at least check some of the games out and play them yourself, not just watching YouTube videos or something. You have to feel it. And that's easy, right? You know, ask someone you know who's into this and let them ask you a couple of questions. What, what are you interested in? What you're curious about? Where do you feel happy? Then they will easily be able to recommend a couple of games to you to, to start with. At this lens, you being a gamer to your repertoire, it will inspire you anyhow on how you apply what you already know, where you're good at to combine with both. There's so many ways you have to get your hands dirty. Before, Hendrik, you mentioned Minecraft education and say so we've recently did a webinar on this live lesson on that. And there's also plenty of learning bits. Um, I think one of the learning bits that Corby has published and translated is on Minecraft. So I think that's, that's a great way to start and just one of the many, as you mentioned. Just a summary of what we've been discussing today, we've talked about the gaming industry, we've talked about the digital job market in a way, and we've talked about schools and how to integrate games in schools. So what I take from this is that games in general can be integrated to a variety of subjects to teach a variety of topics, but as well that games have a variety of applications as well in real life. Um, but Maha, what are some of the highlights that you would pick up from today's conversation? The main takeaways that I would have is that games shouldn't only be used as educational tools, but it should be used everywhere. We also mentioned inclusion, diversity. So I think there are so many aspects in which that we can look forward to. For me, it's very exciting as a, let's say, Generation Z. So I'm very, very curious to see what the future holds. Yeah, and I think that's a very good highlight to see, you know, and a good perspective to see games as an equalizer. Henrik, before we close this episode, is there anything else you would want to point out? Any final uh, statements you would want to say? Game more and don't feel bad about it. <laughs> thank you very much. And so thank you very much for, for joining us today. It's been a real pleasure to have you here. And I feel that our audience will, will now look at video games with a different perspective and also hopefully with renewed enthusiasm. And thank you very much for joining us, Hendrik. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Thank you very much. So um, we hope, listeners, that you have also indeed enjoyed today's episode on the gaming industry and on games in general. We hope that you have a renewed interest in it and particularly in coding, of course. For a whole hour of tutorials, resources, the learning bits that we mentioned previously, lesson plans that are involved with technology, you can visit the coding website. Tune in for the next episode of the Godwit Podcast, where we discuss everything technology, but also things non-technology, like in today's episode. So thank you for tuning in and goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.